Okay, so yesterday we learned about um, the Chassid's final question to the Rebbe. His question is, what should we do if we cannot see the lamps? And the Rebbe's response is that the reason you can't see the lamps, says the Rebbe, is because you're not a lamp lighter. You have to become a lamp lighter. So we learned what's the meaning of him not being a lamp lighter. Um, we learned that the reason why he's not a lamp lighter, the reason he doesn't see the lamps, <coughs> is because um, you only see what you need to see in this world. Hashem, everything that a person sees or hears is a message from Hashem. And since this person has shaken from himself the role of a lamp lighter, so therefore he doesn't see the lamps and others. Doesn't need to see them because he's shaken the roll off of himself. But why did he shake the roll off of himself? He shook the roll off because he shook this responsibility off because he didn't think it's possible to be able to illuminate any, illuminate anybody else. How did he come to the conclusion that it's impossible to illuminate other people? Where, where did that come from? It starts with a perspective that he thinks that he compares himself to others. And he says to him like something like this. If I, when I daven, and I daven for the Ahmed as a chazan, I want everyone to know how great my davening is, and I say to myself, I need Hashem's glory to, uh, to be uh, honored, and therefore my davening has to be um, respected, so in order that otherwise God's, God won't be respected. That's how I delude myself in thinking that my desire to be respected is all altruistic and holy. Um... So, um, so th- the reason why I see coarseness in others is because I. Thank you very much. The reason why I see coarseness in, in others is because of my own coarseness. So I, I know that when, when I daven, I'm thinking about uh, my honor, and when I learn Torah or do a mitzvah. I, I, I have this thought, like, wow, if someone will only know how great I am. So I see how dark my term mitzvahs are. So therefore, and I know how I was educated, and I know who my grandparents were. So if my mitzvahs and Torah aren't luminous, if they don't have that light in them, so um, why should I expect uh, the other person to, um, to have, to, to, that his term mitzvahs should be luminous? I, I, I would think that he doesn't have such a great-grandfather, he, doesn't ha- he wasn't educated by s- the special people that I was. Um, so uh, so I, I, I shouldn't expect there to be any light coming from him in his terminuses. And therefore, I, shouldn't, I, 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 I think to myself that it's impossible to light up his lamp. That's what I think. Srebra um, Hashab told the Chassid, in order for you to be able to light up the other person's lamp, you have to become more refined yourself. When you become more refined yourself, then you'll be able to see, able to see the refinement in others. So, as I said yesterday, I think that there's two steps here. One step is the guy thinks it's not possible to illuminate the other person. It's not possible. And that brings him to another mistake where he... Um, where he shakes off the responsibility and he says, I can't do this. In other words, I, he, he, it's, it's more of a decision. First, it's more like, this is really hard. That's like Tinta Malev. We say it's hard, I don't know how to do this. Tinta Malev is it's impossible to do this. 
And because it's impossible, so it seems like there's like, a, not just there's a, there's, there's a lack of refinement. And therefore, it doesn't naturally see the light in others. But there adds a point. You know, you know like going to a pari that, 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 that says in the Torah that Shem hardened Pari's heart, right? So, so this says two things about that. Number one, the Ramam says, first of all, that even when Hashem hardened his heart, uh, he still had free choice, number one. And he could have really done the right thing. But number two, as a result of his original mistake, the Ramam says, that's why he deserved to have that extra challenge. It was his first mistake that brought him the second mistake. It was because he voluntarily uh, acted cruelly that he um, was given this additional challenge of his heart being hard. So it seems like a similar thing over here about the lamplighter. The guy is, has allowed himself to become dark in himself, in his own terms. And therefore, he assumes darkness in others. And that leads into another mistake that he says it's impossible to light their lights. There's, there are no lamps to light. I don't see any lamps. So, at least this chassid was not so bad. This chassid was, I don't see them, I know they're there. It's also madrigan. I know there's lamps there, I just, I just don't see them. But uh, it's certainly not my job. That, 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 that I think we could... Um, <coughs> so, Rabbi Rashab said, if you, if you refine yourself, and then you'll see the refinement in others. The more refined you are, the, the more you see goodness in others. And then we concluded yesterday with saying that just like in ourselves, just like in the Mason Migdash, there was a mirror of seven candles, and that represents all the Jewish people, so too within every Jew, he also has seven different candles. And the, the responsibility of lighting up another Jew is not just to light up um, uh, their seventh candle, it's also to light up their first candle. And, uh, and, and, and as we see the previous Rebbe, he didn't um, only focus on those people who... Uh, who, who were um, you know, totally deficient in their observance of Torah mitzvahs. He also, saw, as everyone said, I think, if I remember the language, was if someone's davening for two hours, the previous Rebbe would demand, how come you can't daven for four hours? So, 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 um, so, so there, there's a need to uh, encourage every candle of every Jew to be lit, all seven candles, and also in ourselves. We might think we're okay, we have one, one thing going for us, we're good in one area. They realize we have seven candles, and not be satisfied. And when, we, and when we become more refined ourselves, then we'll notice the lamps and others. Okay. The very first way to illuminate the lamp of another Jew, the candle of God, the soul of man, is through davening. Davening is connected with the neshama. Through davening, the neshama illuminates the body. How do we see that davening is connected with the neshama's light in the body, and only through davening does your neshama illuminate your body? The Gemara says, and the Shachanarach says, not supposed to eat before davening. Why? It says, don't eat upon the blood. What does it mean, don't eat upon the blood? Don't eat before you daven for your blood, before you daven in the morning for your life. So before you do that, don't eat. Next page. So Chesis explains about this. That before you daven, your neshama is in you, but it's dormant. It's like in your nose. It's not, it's not revealed in the rest of your body. Neshama remains in the nostrils. It hasn't yet spread and permeated the rest of the body. 
by a day at Philo and through davening, and through davening, the neshama is able to permeate the body and permeate the body's eating and drinking. And so, the, so otherwise, before you daven, you, you eat and drink, and, and the food brings you down. Only because your neshama is present and, and tangible in your, in, your, in your life are you able to really use your breakfast as a way of serving Hashem before you daven, so your breakfast is just something that you enjoy and it doesn't have anything to do with it. You're not able to really eat for the sake of Hashem until you daven. When your shama is very present in you, then you could eat for the sake of the Eivisher. Therefore, it says don't eat before you daven. Of course, our customs to eat before you daven in order to give strength to daven, but the real time for eating is meant to be after davening because otherwise you can't elevate the food. Proteus Yeser. Let's look at this more in detail. In order to eat and drink, to connect the soul with the body, we use our mouth, we use our teeth. Then the food has to go into the intestines. It's true that when you eat, that achieves the connection of the soul with the body. But in order... For that to happen, th- th- there's first a process. You chew it, it goes into your intestines, the food is digested, until it can become part of your flesh and blood. And once it becomes part of your flesh and blood, then it's able to achieve this connection between soul and body. It's able to, to, to facilitate a bond between the soul and the body. And yet, and yet, the prohibition of eating before davening is also when you daven. Let's say you would daven as soon as you finished eating. You, you're going to finish davening before the food digests. So you're going to eat right now before davening. You're going to daven soon. And by the time you finish davening, the food will have begun to digest and to spread in your body. And the neshama's connection to the body as a result of you eating will only take place after you finish davening. <laughs> That means that this idea um, that the, the purpose of davening is so that the soul should spread to the body uh, is pertinent not only for the neshama, but it's pertinent also for the body. It's pertinent for the mouth and the teeth and the intestines. And that is the impact of davening, that through davening the soul spreads the entire body, whether you understand it or not. That's a fact, that when you daven, it causes your neshama to spread. So, and I just want to recap with the last point. The last point I ever said is, if I understood it correctly, when you eat, this is a process, until it's able to achieve a union with your soul and the body. First you eat, then it goes into your intestines, and then eventually it causes 
this extra energy in your body and it allows your soul to be attached to your body. So it doesn't say in the Gemara that you cannot daven um, uh, an hour before davening and you can't have the neshama... Um, you, you, you would think, let me daven now, sorry, let me eat right now, and the, the, the body won't be impacted by my food until about an hour. The body won't be impacted by the food and the digestive system and anything the, 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 until the food is processed, I won't have the full impact in my body until I finish davening. Anyways, but still not allowed to do that before you daven. That means that davening isn't just about the uh, enzymes and the nutrients going into your body and sustaining the, your soul's bond in your body and being alive. Davening is also affecting the way you eat, your mouth and your teeth and, and, your, and your intestines. In other words, davening is, isn't only necessary for the, for the nutrients to, to supply energy for the soul to be to connect to the body. Davening is also pertinent to how your teeth work, to how your mouth works, to how, so, so that your neshama that you've now, by, because you davening, your neshama is now in your whole body, so now that you'll eat the right way, and your intestines will be will work a different way, and 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 the, the entire process of eating, should, from beginning to end, should only start after you daven. Not only should the final bit be after you daven, but they shouldn't begin till after you daven. So why? Because through davening, your neshama spreads throughout the whole body. By the way, this is in the PDF I sent last week. So from Zemu and this tells us the power of davening. How davening causes an neshama to spread in the whole body. But add to such an extent, the Altarab uses an expression in a famous letter. Says there are those who say that davening is only a rabbinic obligation. The Altarab says whoever says that has never seen luminaries in his life. Whoever says that davening is only a rabbinic obligation, they've never seen light in their life. Now, it's clear that the Altarab knew that there were very great halachic authorities who had this opinion, and they continued to maintain this opinion, that davening is a rabbinic obligation. Like, for example, the Rambam. The Rambam says that it's a biblical obligation only to daven if you need something. If you really need something, then you have to daven. What about davening three times a day? The Rambam says that's a rabbinical obligation. So, but in the Alter Rebbe quotes these opinions who say that davening is a rabbinic obligation and yet he says about them they never saw light in their life how could he say that how could the Altar say that if you say davening is a rabbinical obligation never saw light in your life we're talking about great tzaddikim who maintain that davening is a rabbinical obligation what's going on One forty-nine. the one the explanation could be understood based upon what the Alter Rebbe writes in the Maimorim of this last Shabbos, speaking after Parshas Chukas. And he said, that the Alter Rebbe said in Parshas Chukas that in the time of the first base of Migdash, people did not need to dive. You need to dive. In the time of the second base of Migdash, there was need to dive. But it was a short davening. But the Alter says, now we need to daven excessively. Why? Next page. Because the great evil that has become more and more mixed with the side of holiness 
and it's become harder to serve Hashem because it's not just that like in the beginning of creation there was evil in one place and holiness was another place, but now there's since the sin of the tree of knowledge is a, a, a mixture of good and evil, and there has become more and more of a of uh, the as the exile progresses there's more and more of a of darkness and therefore there's more of a need to daven. Kolem, what this means is yes there is a circumstance in where davening is only only a rabbinic thing. At a time when the body was in a very elevated state, in order that the body should feel connected to Hashem, that in order for the body to experience life as a Jewish body, it was sufficient to, as the Torah says, look up to the sky, lift your eyes to the sky. Just look up to the sky. What does the verse say? Lift your eyes to the sky and see who created the world. Who created this? So as long as you just look to the sky, boom! You already feel the Abisha created the world. Just look up and ah, you're there. Therefore, they didn't need, they didn't need at that time when people were in a more elevated state. They didn't need to daven. And now daven at length because they were so in touch with the Abish's truth. And so too, even nowadays, there are certain times that each person knows in himself, sometimes you're in a, in a mood of inspiration. And whether because there's a voice from, a voice from heaven, or whatever reason it may be, so, so it could be that as soon as you wake up in the morning, you see and you feel that the world is not a palace without, without an owner. Rather, you feel there is a master of this world. So even before you say Meida'ani, before you say the morning blessings, before you begin to daven, you right away feel the Eibishter. That happens. But, most of the, but, but in the majority of cases, and the Torah addresses the majority of cases, when you want to see the luminaries, when you want to see a luminous world, you need to daven. You hear so it's possible to be in a situation where you don't need to dive into to, to be conscious of the Abish's presence. That there, there is such a, a uh, such a state, as we all learned the expression in Reb Garfield, that if we're meant to uh, pop out of bed, we all be born in toasters. So some people they wake up in the morning and they right away they're there, but most of the time, or most people, they need davening to see the light, and <laughs> so that's all that it means. The people who say that davening mirabanon. They, they, they never saw light in their life. Alter Alter was saying, do you think you don't need to daven? You think that davening is necessary for you? It depends on where, what level you're up to. If, if in the time of the base of Mikdash, yeah, that was true, they didn't need to daven. But nowadays, if you want to have light in your life, and you, you want to be able to experience the Abish, their body you need to daven. That's the meaning of the halacha we quoted earlier, that it's forbidden to, to eat before you pray. That when your neshama is only in your nostrils, your neshama hasn't, hasn't yet extended into the rest of your body. So, that's before you daven. So, you can't elevate the food. After you daven, when your neshama has now become connected with your body and the physicality of the body, so then it's possible for you to elevate the world by, by davening. But, but in the beginning of the day, in order to make that connection, you have to say Maidani, say the morning blessings, you have to daven. And in davening, you ask for your needs. That the davening is mainly, uh, um, 
Everyone agrees that there is a biblical obligation to ask Hashem when you need something. So, um, so, so in order to um, uh, in order to be able to engage with the physical world, you have to daven first. That's why it says it's forbidden to eat before you daven because you can engage with the physical world in, in the way that you feel the the the, the, light, the light in the world without without the davening. So, however, because of our great sins, the Rebbe says, there are those who don't know about the meaning of davening at length. I'm sorry, they don't know about the, 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 the lengthy explanation about the value of davening. They don't know how necessary it is in order for a Jew to live a Jewish life. And it's possible that they should be missing a mitzvah they should be missing in their observance of mitzvahs. It's even possible they're actually missing performing an actual mitzvah. And therefore, they said, I want to talk about something which is pertinent in our, in, 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 at this time, 1962, about this country. But the Rebbe says this has relevance to all countries. Um, lately, the Rebbe says there's been a tumult about the custom that was accepted in all public schools to say a short prayer in the beginning of, of class. But have, there are, until there are those who, who warred against God and warred against God's Mashiach, and they came to the courts with a request to nullify this custom, and since the court ruled according to the majority, um, they ruled to, to uh, eradicate this, this practice. And, and the Jews also, because of this question, the Jews are wondering what should their stance be. Should there is it good that there's a prayer before, or is it not good that there's a prayer before? So, the Rebbe said, it says, in, in the, in, there's, a, there's a statement of a wise man. The statement of the wise man goes like this: A question of a wise man is half the answer. So, when you want to know what the answer should be, that's because you're not asking the question appropriately. Um, so, in short. Um, the Rebbe's stance is that that um, uh, that goes in a great length. We're not going to do this today. Um, uh, it goes in great, great length defending the practice of um, of of a moment of silence. Instead of instead of asking people to say a specific prayer, um, it's important that in schools they do um, have a time to think about Hashem, and it's critical. Or that children should grow up and know that there's an eye that sees them, ear that ear, ear that hears them. So a chassid, in the language of Alter Rebbe, every Jew, Alter Rebbe said that chassid is not meant for a certain segment of Jews. Because this is for everybody. So every Jew has to become, every Jew has to be a chassid. And what's the idea of a chassid? To be a lamplighter, to light up the soul of God, the, can, the candle of God, the soul of man in every Jew. And how do you do this? In order, to, the first thing you need to do to arouse the soul from its sleep, and how do you, and you have to say to the soul. You should know that your neshama is an actual part of God. And you have to add and tell the person, you should know that you, that through God, through Hashem, you can receive all the blessings. And if you can't say it, the Rebbe says in Hebrew or in Yiddish, because this guy doesn't know Hebrew or Yiddish, say it, in, say it to him in English, say blessings. In order to receive all of God's blessings, all that you need and your family needs and all the country needs, you need to talk to Hashem. Hashem is the one who provides it. And 
And if you tell him, if someone says, Sebra says, that you're that you're not a, that you don't have a lamp, or that your lamp is in the desert, or that your lamp is in the ocean, that's a proof the one who's talking is very coarse, and therefore he doesn't see that it's sharp, therefore he sees coarseness in others. But we have a promise that when a Jew accepts upon himself this role of being a lamplighter, even though for that purpose he needs to have a long stick, which the meaning of a long stick means that there's a long effort, and it could be that you need to take the fire from someone else because you yourself don't have the fire, because you got used to, as it says in the Torah by the Megillah, the Jewish people enjoyed the meal of that wicked man of Achashverosh. They got so into the physical and, and, and so they don't have the fire. So it could be you have to borrow someone else's fire and you have to use a long stick, there's a long effort. But nevertheless, you're a Jew and therefore borrow your fire from the code of Jewish law and with this, light up the candle of God, the soul of man, of Jewish children. And then one candle will join another candle until there will be a great torch and a great bonfire which will be able to break through the double and quadruple darkness of this generation, this orphan generation, and to bring down the light of God. It says about Hashem's truth, Emes the truth of Hashem is forever, but it also means the truth of Hashem is lo'ilum, which means it's in the world. The truth of Hashem is everywhere. So, so by adding one count to another, we'll be able to break through the darkness of the exile, and the truth of Hashem is in the world, is forever, in a way that we'll be able to see with our flesh, godliness practically in this world, lower than tenth So, just in short, to recap the last point, Ever says that every Jew has to know that they are a, has accept this role of being a lamplighter, and uh, even though he doesn't see the other... <laughs> If someone like borrows the sikhan to now insult people and say, "Oh, I, I don't see a lamp in you," and I, I, your lamp must be in the desert, your lamp. So that's only if you're saying that that's because you yourself are are a course. But the truth is that um, if you don't have the fire, or you, you should borrow it from others, and then it says even borrow from the code of Jewish law. I think what that means is you want to light someone else up, so you don't feel what you're saying necessarily, but you should look what it says in the Torah, what the other person needs to hear. And even though it may not be the full inspiration coming from your neshama, but still, you should still share it with another person. Another occasion, I ever said, Davin, you should talk, Davin to Hashem, to ask Hashem to help you to speak words that come from the heart, the words that come from the heart, enter the heart. And uh, it may take a, it may be borrowed fire, and it may be a long stick, it may be a long process, but uh, every Jew has this obligation, not just, not just for chassidim, every Jew is meant to be a chassid. And this way, one candle will lead to another, each candle's light will add to the others, until we'll be able to break the darkness of Golis and see the light of Hashem in the physical world in a, in a very vivid way. L'chaim. L'chaim. This reminds me of a conversation.